We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. And I just want to start this podcast out by wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Holidays are coming up, depending on what you celebrate. It doesn't matter. We want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving for myself and Nick. He'll probably have a little bit of a line. But just want to thank everyone who listens to this podcast so religiously, so regularly, and so consistently. And we've noticed you, and you make this show what it is. And it really... We're thankful to be able to do this. Me and Nick love chopping up about the New York Giants. We could talk about them for hours, and we do off-pod, but it's a lot cooler to talk about them with an audience and an engaged audience that wants to learn, that's interested in the content. And like I always say, I learn a lot every time I talk to Nick about football. I learn a lot every time I research about football, and I'm still learning too, and I'm glad that you guys are on this journey with us, learning a lot learning a lot about not only Giants X's and O's and Giants football, everything that goes along with this specific franchise, but just the game in general, because I've always loved this game for one reason, and it's because it's one big chess match. And for me, I'm always intrigued by super strategic games. The best game I've ever played is a game called Stratomatic, where you're literally playing football with board game pieces and with your mind. And there's tons of other games that really qualify too. But thank you to everybody here. And I just want to start by saying that. Nick, do you have anything to add on that? No, just happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And 
everybody, I hope everybody's safe and everybody's ready to talk some Giants football because it's going to be great. And you talked about how much you learn just uh, when you research things. I mean, me, me as well, dude. I mean, there's so much wealth of knowledge out there on the internet that can help you learn about yes. these, this great game of football and it's constant for literally everybody everybody's always adjusting and learning even some of the best coaches in the game yeah you're 100 percent right i feel like with this sport there's so much to learn there's so much to improve on from a knowledge standpoint and that's the goal for both of us at least and we hope it shows in our podcast so on tonight's show with the giants obviously coming off their bye week not exactly any all 22 game game film to break down we hope you enjoyed the interview with Mark Schofield about Daniel Jones and where he's at there. But on tonight's show, we're going to do a long Q&A. We asked for questions. We got a lot more than we ever expected. So we're actually planning to break this up into two. We started thinking we're going to do one show, but with all the questions that flowed in, there's just no chance it's going to fit. And we don't want to cut anyone off. You guys have listened to us. You want, you've taken the time to send your questions. So we want to address them all. But before we dive into that, I did want to give a big shout out and thanks to literally the 45 people who flowed in with ratings and reviews of our podcast since the last time we recorded. I've never seen a a flow of so many ratings and reviews in such a short time span. I was stunned and surprised and really happy that 40 of you um, took, took, you know, took, took our one request and actually took the time out of your day to rate, review, write a note about us. Like I've always said, it's all we'll ever ask because it makes a big difference. It helps us shoot up the charts, helps us get more exposure. It helps us build our brand and our show even bigger. And I literally check this review constantly. Like I, it's maybe unhealthy how often I check our reviews and I read them. I have read every word that you guys have said. So I want to shout out a couple of you. I want to shout out create two, 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 two. Yeah, you heard that right? That's Five twos. Football class is the title. Dan and Nick are great at teaching average fans how to watch the game of football. I look forward to their instant reactions, and they're all 22 breakdowns. It's a show the average football fan and the football nerd alike, which is exactly what we want to be, so I'm happy you did said that. Uh, there's, this, there's the show the pros watch, and this is the show the coaches watch or listen to. And then he said, P.S., I do agree with some other people about the ad reads. I think you're great, Nick, but the ad reads make me irrationally angry. Irrationally? Okay. Hey, guys, like I said, whenever I have to record the next set of ad reads, and I believe I already did this for the one that you will be hearing on this episode, (laughs) I will tone it down a little bit, okay? Just for you guys, you know, I I hear the requests, and I don't want to upset anybody. And you know what? Listening back on it a little bit, it it was a little loud. (laughs) But for those of you who don't know, that's how these – ad reads are supposed to be read they're supposed to be read over the top and i really all the time every time i emphasize a word it's because that's the way the script that's given to me it's bolded or it's underlined or something so that's why i do the certain things that i do well listen all i know is this will be the most highly anticipated ad reads in the history of the big blue banter (laughs) podcast so i look forward to the reviews gq gave us another five there's another person who gave us a five-star rating recently and said excellent in my opinion it's between the pod this podcast and giants weekly as the go-to podcast for giants fans what i appreciate about this podcast is the effort that both dan schneider and nick filato give in studying the team's game tapes and explaining to us analytics neophytes why things are going well or badly for the team so thank you so much mr chewy it's like the clyde uh uh, Clyde Frazier reference there with the neophyte. Yes, yes. neophyte is always good. Um, we got plenty of reviews. Joey LaBelle, Rick Smeedes, MB and CR. We're not going to read them all, but thank you to those of you who took the time to rate and review us. That's all we'll ever ask. And for those of you who hadn't, please send a review our way. But without further ado, let's dive right into some questions from you guys, the listeners. And we'll start it like this. Big Blue Drew asks, do you think 
that a cornerback too, a second boundary cornerback, must be taken with our first or second pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. You can kick us off, Nick. Yeah, so as I've said a couple different times through draft season, I don't think you should be pigeonholed into a specific uh, position, and I think it all depends on the value that does fall to you. Now, I'm not fully versed in the 2021 draft quite yet, and when that time comes, which I assure you it will, and I'll be really, really studying on all of these prospects in college football, I actually genuinely look forward to it after the football season and during the football playoffs because the Giants have really been in the playoffs of late, but I don't believe that it's a necessity for them to really target that position. Yeah, I think what Nick dives into is the general consensus you're going to get from me, which is, and you know how you guys have probably heard me reference the process when it comes to process versus results, when it comes to roster building, when it comes to the draft, free agency, and all things that go into general management. And I'm not a big believer in knocking a GM or a decision maker if he gets an evaluation wrong, because this is an imperfect process. But what I am a big believer in is having the right process, because process leads to results in my mind over time and over a longer period of time, sometimes in a short sample size. And with regards to your question, my process would be to never specifically pigeonhole yourself into I have to take one position. Now, Dave Gettleman actually talked about this a little while ago after the year he took the franchise tag off of Josh Norman during his tenure as Carolina Panthers general manager. He said he fell prone to this idea. He said we need to jam in cornerbacks and he moved a couple up his boards he shouldn't have and he regrets that decision i think they took three cornerbacks in that yeah, one so draft if I'm, class. Not, if I'm not mistaken it was james bradbury one was bradbury so he did hit one of those Zach sanchez big. and daryl worley yes, if i'm and, not mistaken and worley and sanchez have not worked out really worley has played a little bit more than sanchez but as far as bradbury that was obviously a hit but he still regrets having poured into and i think the key takeaway and i actually agree with dave on this one is that you can't force a position you can't force a pick which is also one reason why we like having more picks on the Big Blue Banter podcast and more swings at this imperfect process that is the NFL draft. But yes, you can't force it. You have to let it come to you. So no, to answer your question, I do not think a cornerback two must be taken with our first or second pick in the draft, even though I do agree that it is one of their key needs. I do agree with that as well. And I'm sure some of these other questions will probably dive into that. But I wanted to get into Nicky Mortadella's question. By position, what areas of this roster are most efficient and what, in your opinion, will be best ways to attack them in the offseason? For example, guys like Juju Smith-Schuster or Chris Godwin, and then he says, but I'd rather use free agent for edge or cornerback and use the draft for offensive linemen and offensive playmakers and some more secondary depth. Yeah, Nikki. So first of all, shout out to for, for Nikki Mortadella. And I think that's a better way to pronounce your name. Oh, the way absolutely. Nick did it. absolutely. Even though Nick is the resident it- Italiano. I this. was being over the top, obviously. Yeah, but... Mortadella get... is not how this guy goes around saying his last name is. How do you say the word, Nick, for that uh, milky cheese that you get on Italian cutlets? Mozzarella? Mozzarella? No, nah, I think it's mutz. Mutz? It could the, be. The real Italians say mutz. Yeah, well, I was born in America, so... Yeah, no, no, no. I'm talking about the Italian-Americans from New ah. Jersey who consider themselves the real Italians. Yeah. Shout out Steve Milano, are, West are they, Orange, are these New the Jersey. Same, are these the same people that say sauce is gravy? Yes. Yeah, well, I don't I don't subscribe to that. Wow. And I consider refer, myself... You refer to red sauce as red sauce? That's, that's, I refer to red sauce. I would sauce. never say no, that in front of any Italians. Gravy. Well, I'm Italian, Yikes. so, you know, that that is what it is. I hope we have some true Italianos on this show who can... Weigh in and let us know that you call it gravy. Yeah. When I got disparage me as you guys will, but that's the way I roll. Yeah, well, it should be disparaged. But as far as Nikki Mortadella goes, I will say this, Nikki, and this will be a common theme throughout this mailbag episode. 
neither Nick of I have done our due diligence on the 2021 NFL draft. Both of us will turn a page to that at some point and divert all our attention there, but giving you any names of prospects or any positions we think are deep or top heavy is not would not be doing you or anyone on this podcast a service because we haven't done the research and that's just the nature of the business. We've been grinding Giants film in the 2020 yeah. season. We could like talk about like certain prospects like yeah, sure. there's a lot of buzz around this guy and this position group may be deep, but we we can't get into the real nitty-gritty about these yes. player skill sets. We have another time to watch them on film except for Zach Wilson, my 2021 man crush, who I have watched a lot of game tape of. Um, But as far as the other players go, and this will apply to free agency as well, and I think free agency in general, before I answer your question, because I still think your question can be answered, Nikki, but it just has to be answered in a different way. But I think this applies to free agency in general as well. It's best to wait there too, guys, because there are so many players who end up being re-signed or tagged or franchise tagged before this time. Uh, I'm sorry, before they become free agents at this time. Like guys who we think will be there will ultimately not be there. The vast majority will not be there. I remember around this time last year, Justin Simmons was a player I had circled on my targets list, someone I really wanted the Giants to go after. And he never hit the market. The Broncos never even considered letting him hit the market. They tagged him and that and that was it. And the same goes for um, the dude from the Vikings, who Anthony I was Harris. Anthony Harris, who I was also intrigued by. And there were even rumors the Giants dangled a little Dalvin Tomlinson in a pick type idea for Anthony Harris. Who knows if those rumors are true? They will never know. We weren't in the room, but that's what I say for these guys. But as far as your question goes, because something can be answered, what areas of this roster are most efficient in your opinion? I think for me, the number one answer right now would be edge. Have Having been. said that. Having said that, while I do believe edge is the most efficient, I actually think the most important to improve would be cornerback too. I've really swung the fences of this pass coverage over pass rush debate. I've seen so many teams recently winning in different ways in the pass rush game and in the pass defense overall game when they have those stud corners on the outside and when they're able to kind of control the game using different looks on defense and finding different ways to get pressure. Having said that, though, I'm doubling back because they really are just not getting enough at all out of the edge, and it would be cool to watch somebody with talent off the edge work a two-man game with Leonard Williams on third downs often, early and often. That would be a cool thing, watch them work stunts and loops. Um, It would be great to see just a guy on third down win off the edge in a one-on-one quickly, when guys like Leonard Williams, who's really the only consistent pass rusher, I think, on this roster right now, to be honest, I mean, B.J. Hill, I would say, is kind of up there, which is crazy to say, but he, on a limited person that basis, he is getting a lot of pressure. Um, but as far as what they have left, and who knows what Oshin ends will give them, that we're hoping will be good. But it would be nice to also have a guy who can win one-on-one on the edge, like I said, when Leonard doesn't win or when Leonard isn't the guy getting it. So I think for me, top of my mind, areas that are most efficient, cornerback two, edge i'm probably thinking the next spot would be wide receiver it would be for me yeah but i'm less inclined to say the receivers like okay for me actually i'll take that back tight end one i i I like Avery ingram to some extent he has some talent he's okay in some regards he's better in the big as a big slot but an inline tight end who can block and receive would change the whole complexion of this offense, especially with how much power and gap they're running, especially with how committed to being a football, physical football team that wants to win at the point of attack. Jason Garrett and Joe Gelad from a philosophical standpoint are a tight end one who could just line up in line, win at the line of scrimmage against defensive aids and hold blocks consistently and also offer something in the passing game would be great. But the, the fact of the matter is there's like, what, one or two of them in the entire NFL right now? 
Like, who would we even consider besides George Kittle? Is Travis Kelsey even that good of a blocker? Like, we know Zach Ertz isn't. Darren Waller doesn't block that well. Yeah, Travis Kelsey, I mean, he can, but that's he, not what he that's does. That's not what he does. No, no. Rob Gronkowski. It's and, Gronk. Gronk. And, oh, yeah. yeah, I forgot about Gronk. Yeah. Gronk is definitely still up there. It's true, though. It's yeah. crazy because you thought, like, oh, he'd be done. Nope. Gronk is still blocking with the best of them, and he's decent as a receiver still. He's not what he was, but he's still decent. Yeah, they're hard to find. They're for, really hard. For me, it would be edge edge, and then cornerback, too. I, I would prioritize edge because I do believe that there is a lot of value in having that one guy who can create that pressure and win those one-on-one uh, snaps. But, I mean, cornerback, too, you have to— you have to just think about, imagine having two cornerbacks who you could trust in man coverage on the boundary to take away guys like Mike Evans and Antonio Brown or Chris Goblin yep. if you have a solid slot, you know? And the Giants do not have that. But I would have cornerback two as my second, and then it would be wide receiver, and then maybe linebacker two, but I don't want to write off guys like Tay Crowder yet. And and that's kind of how I actually feel with guys like Austin Mack. Yes. I'm yes. intrigued a lot by Austin Mack. As I know I. it's ridiculous to be intrigued by somebody who was an undrafted free agent. Yeah, but, but that's a similar thing with Crowder, I think. But my um, the thing I would say is mm-hmm. when I'm talking about upgrading that wide receiver uh, position group, I'm talking about like a Kenny Galladay or an Allen Robinson, like a true okay. wide receiver one that would put Darius Slayton as a two and put Darius Slayton in so many situations where he has one-on-one so he can just thrive. And then you have Sterling Shepard go back to his spot in the slot where yes. he is most successful. And I think that would really maximize a passing game. You bring Saquon Barkley back into the fold. And then I think Daniel Jones is looking at just a breakout season. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm intrigued. But yeah, I think you're right. I I am intrigued a little bit bit by Mac because I do think Mac also does what you said, which is extremely important, getting Shepard back in the slot for next season, moving Tate off the roster. But you're right. I mean, if they can upgrade that spot in a big way, and it's looking at least at this stage of things like – out of the positions we named, cornerback two, which I completely agree with you, is probably mm-hmm. number one for me because I want them to be able to run a lot more man and get and let Patrick Graham really do his thing. Edge one, obviously, and even edge two because we don't know what Carter is going to be coming off an Achilles. Just so unfortunate. His career too. could be completely sapped. Um, he was an explosive type prospect who relied a little bit on that. And then still tight end, inline tight end for me. I know we can say like it's impossible yeah. to get, but if somehow they had a shot at one. I'm intrigued. And it's, it's kind of funny too, Dan, because Caden Smith, he's a guy we just got off of San Francisco. Yep. Just, you know, oh, San Francisco's done with him. We pick him up. As a run blocker, he has done so well with what Jason Garrett has asked him to do. He has. I wouldn't say he's at that exact oh, level. So it was like not, Kittle. No. But yes, yeah. he has done very well. Yes. And better than, you know, any of the other Giants, really, including Levine Toilolo, who they thought was going to be this blocking tight end. And it's just simply not a good blocker despite his frame. No, absolutely not. Somehow. And it's also very. It's intriguing too, man, because with Jason Garrett, he we, we said it in the beginning. We're like, oh, maybe, you know, they're just running a lot of 12 and 13 personnel because the, all the receivers are injured. But no, they're still doing it, man. They, they yeah. like these big they personnel want to be physical. Packages. They want to win at the mm-hmm. point of attack. They want, they want to impose their will, which is why an inline to me would be so nice. But again, like you said, hard to find. So as far as your question goes, Nikki, long story short, those are the big ones. Wide receiver, edge, cornerback. And what it comes down to as far as attacking the offseason, the best way to do it is really how the market plays itself out. There's very t- few times where an edge that's worth investing in hits the market. Very few times. This year, if you had done it, you would have regretted it. The team that traded an early draft pick for Yannick Ngakwe. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, and I don't it, care. It's just Ngakwe. Ngakwe, and I don't care. But he, <laughs> I really don't. I don't care about learning it. He was already traded again. The team that signed Javion Clowney, he's on IR. 
They signed him to a one-year deal. I mean, edges don't hit that market, so I'm going to say probably not there. They just invested in a cornerback, so I doubt they're going to go that route again. So like you said, it's those guys you mentioned. You mentioned Juju and Chris Godwin. Those aren't the top of my list. Neither my list starts with, starts with Allen Robinson, number one. Probably goes down to Kenny Galladay, number two. And then my boy, the pick who I will never quit on, Corey Davis, who I think has been completely held back by a combination of unlucky injuries and an offense that loves to run the football and play action with A.J. Brown, who's arguably and most definitely a better receiver than Corey Davis. No slight on Davis, though. No, and you also got to look at Corey Davis. Yeah, he struggled with injuries. I mean, he came into the NFL injured, and then he played with the erratic Marcus Mariota Mm -hmm. up until the point where Ryan Tannehill finally took over and A.J. Brown started emerging at that same time while being on a run-dominated offense. Yes. So you're looking at a guy who might be had on the cheap relative to the market. And that's what we're about. And a guy who has not even scratched the surface of his potential due to other factors that are kind of opposite of himself. Number six overall pick in the draft that had serious Des Bryant type vibes when you watched him on film. For anybody, coming out. yeah, absolutely serious, yeah. like early prime explosive Des Bryant and Keem Nicks type vibes to him, but bigger and faster straight line. Yeah, so if anybody wants to check out Big Blue View right now, I just did an article on potential uh, free agent targets for the Giants. And I went over the edge position, the cornerback position, and the wide receiver position. So you will be a little more well-versed for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, my boss over there asked me to do it. So I I got to write up guys like Corey Davis and some of the uh, other prospects that I'm in, or players, I should say, that I'm interested in. But I'm just, I don't know how much the Giants are going to have, which is a discussion for another time. Yeah, it's interesting. I... I think at all times, any team could have a lot more cap, and we'll get to this, there's a question about this, than they really, it shows on paper, or than it seems, especially when you're only paying your quarterback a rookie contract, but we'll get to that a little bit more later. All right, let's dive into the next one. Hanukkah Matata, which is an awesome Twitter name, Hanukkah Matata, really speaks to me, the goyim in this, uh, in this, in this, uh, in this podcast group or this podcast dynamic duo that is Nick Filato and myself. You've talked a lot about the choice between Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams. What is your confidence level that one of BJ Hill, Austin Johnson, or RJ McIntosh can be a contributor in the absence of either of those two next season? Do you think the Giants will and should target an IDL in free agency or the draft? I think they should if they let Tomlinson or Williams go. I think you do need to, especially the way this defense wants to run, you do want to upgrade this position. And I'm not 100% confident that BJ Hill, RJ McIntosh, or Austin Johnson will be able to replenish what either of those two do, because I think what those two do are so important and vital to what Patrick Graham wants to do, and it kind of allows Graham to be as versatile as we see, because Dalvin Tomlinson allows you to just He'll play nose tech and just two gap on certain defensive looks, and that allows the linebackers to be so much more free. I don't think BJ Hill or Austin Johnson are going to be able to do that consistent enough. I think BJ Hill has his role. He's a one gap penetrator. Uh, on third down, you put him in there. He has very active hands. He's pretty smooth as a pass rusher, and I think he excels in that role. But that's not what you're asking Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson to do. Now, Leonard Williams does do that, but he also does so many other things. So if you lose him, how are you replacing him? I think if you do lose one of those two, they will add somebody else to the position group. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think I agree with your statement that if they lose Tomlinson out of these two, let's say it is Tomlinson, which is the direction I would lean currently, keeping Leonard Williams and letting Tomlinson walk. Though I am open to the idea of seeing if Tomlinson will take a tag 
and not put up a fuss. I don't know if that's the case. It seems unlikely to me based on the fact that his fellow teammate will then get paid and he wasn't with the team. Donaldson's played with the team for years, built it. He's a team captain in some games and somebody who they've kind of probably told, we like your attitude, we like your fit in our culture. I don't think the tag's coming for either of these two. I don't know if resigning two IDLs would make long-term sense like this. And I will say this, as far as what you're saying goes, I agree 100%. What Tomlinson can do and what he can allow those linebackers to do, it might not be able to be replicated even if they do let him walk by finding someone in free agency. Having said that, I think that by putting Dexter Lawrence in those snaps and in that role that Tomlinson currently occupies and just increasing his overall workload, but also giving him specific spots that used to be occupied or specific situations and plays and downs and distances and roles that used to be occupied by Tomlinson, it could add something different to that position and it could add something different for Graham to scheme around because Dexter Lawrence offers something different on every given snap than Tomlinson. While he may not be as good over the nose and you know in that two-gapping role allowing those linebacks to be free, he also may have some plays where he shoots into the backfield and stops a run play before it even starts because he has that kind of lateral agility, explosiveness, surprising nimbleness and speed and quickness for a guy that's his size. It is wild to watch Dexter Lawrence on the field because he moves like someone who is closer to BJ Hill's size. Having also looked into the position a lot and seen how it kind of has developed throughout the last 10 years around the NFL, with teams waiting to take a lot of these guys deep into the draft, third, fourth round value. I mean, I remember a couple years ago, or from now it's a long time ago, Falcons got Grady Jarrett on day three. And you can get some of these players at the IDL position late, both in the draft and in free agency. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of Dave Gettleman's roster allocation, allocating so many assets to the position. It's just kind of like fantasy football I like to always equate it to. Sure, you went into this draft wanting Patrick Mahomes, but if you could get, I don't know, Kyler Murray five rounds later, or even later you dig in and you get whoever it is and you target him 10 rounds later, you have to consider opportunity cost when you're building a roster and I don't think there's a deeper position in the NFL besides IDL besides or, or then IDL besides maybe running back but I'm not even sure anymore the fact that the, the Giants have cycled in guys like Austin Johnson and even Mario Edwards who gave them really good snaps I didn't really ask him to and now and he did it for the Saints and these guys just move time to time who was the dude they signed this offseason that we were like he could probably put him in the nose if they really need to that I think that was Austin Johnson no, no, no. Um, oh, Dalen Mack? Dalen Mack. Yeah, the kid from Texas A&M. The kid from Texas A&M. You look at him, you watch him play, and you're like, wait, this guy could probably, I mean, he's not going to do it as well as Tomlinson, but he could probably fill that role to some extent. Yeah, he had those Puna Ford type vibes where he's yeah. like six foot and he could just like he anchor just wins, down. Yeah, he anchors and he pounds. wins with leverage. Yeah. Um, which is basically what Tomlinson does, by the way. He just does it really well. He's so strong. Like Tomlinson's He's also so ridiculously strong. Tomlinson's also low key, like really athletic. There are yeah. plays where it's like a wide zone running scheme away from him. He'll be at like the one technique from the far side. He'll disengage from the center, run through a guard basically, and like launch himself at the legs of the running back and somehow get him. And it's like, how are you that athletic? Yeah. And how did you get from point A to point B so quickly? And these are two great players right now for the Giants and the Giants aren't really a roster you want to be letting players go from so I do think there's also a case to be made for paying both which is crazy and I don't really know how it would fit long term 
and they would have to certainly start playing the cap like the Saints, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and all the smart teams do, which is push, push, push it back and just keep restructuring and deal with it years down the line which never actually comes because you just keep pushing it and to speak to Gettleman too he kind of did that this year with these free agent signings to an extent he he designed these free agent contracts so by year three if they're not working out they could be cut and it's going to be a limited dead cat money it's very flexible for the extensions of Daniel Jones and possibly. Steve I'm actually Parker. arguing the opposite. No, I know, that is no, true. No, I know, but like said. what I mean is, I wasn't expecting Dave Gettleman to be as cap savvy sure. like a year or two ago, and then we kind of applauded him this offseason when he came out with these specific contracts because it because we knew they weren't going to necessarily compete this year. Yes, but in three years they may be competing, and we weren't sure how these contracts would materialize, injuries and things like that. I thought it was a savvy move by him. Yeah, we talked about that on the podcast during Mm -hmm. those signings, and we both agree that, to be fair, though, I do want to point this out, most people believe, and from everything I've read and heard, Gettleman doesn't have much at all to do with those cap contracts. It's mostly Kevin Abrams. It's Kevin Abrams. He's the cap cap specialist, and he focuses entirely on there. So I don't really want to give Gettleman credit unless I hear that specifically, that Gettleman specifically had this idea. It's the organization. But it's the organization, sure. It's the regime. It's Kevin Abrams who deserves credit, and maybe Gettleman played a role in that or Judge. We'll never know, but we know Abrams is their cap specialist. But yeah, I mean, on the flip side of that, though, I think they can kind of reverse course a little bit on that because now they know they can count on James Bradbury for years to come so they can start to they can start to restructure that contract and push more money into next year. I'm sorry, this coming year and start to go the opposite route. I think you can do the same with Blake Martinez. You can trust that he'll still be giving you production three years into the contract so you can start to restructure and take more of that guaranteed money and that frees up more and more cap space than you would have depending on what they do there. Now, can't do that for everyone. If a free agent isn't working out after year one, you can't do that. But both of those free agents are working out after year one. So I think they can when you factor in that plus Daniel Jones's rookie contract. You've got to take it advantage of that in the NFL you really do um, I, I think they should be big spenders in free agency regardless of what the initial cap number looks like but that's a larger question to answer your main question here Hanukkah Matata I would say that there will be ways for them to upgrade the interior defensive line but we both agree that they should do it yes yes Hanukkah Matata and thank you for the question now another cool name enter name here asks Let's say the Giants have the 10th pick this year in the draft. What position do you think needs to be addressed with that pick? Dan, do we have enough knowledge to weigh in on the first round of the draft at pick 10? Well, as you can tell, we're pretty much flying by night when it comes to these questions. We've pretty much already addressed that we're not going to be answering like specific draft questions. We've also addressed that we're not locking ourselves into a position in any round of this draft. Um, but having said that, I think you can make a case to address really any of the three depending on what kind of values on the board except for me I'll most likely never subscribe to a wide receiver in the top 10 I don't believe in it I never have I never will and I think you can get wide receivers in the second round in the third round you can even get a value later on day three depending on how deep the class is and so I'm probably not there I like to build in in, my roster building always focuses inside out so I want to build the trenches And that's changed a little bit over time. I've kind of evolved my personal roster building strategy to also feature in secondary players. I've started to really, truly believe in the importance of having lockdown corners. So I would put cornerback one up there with it. So for me, cornerback and edge are where I'm hoping that that pick goes right now, at least. Same here. And I will throw the names, and I know this kind of goes against what Dan just said. Jamar Chase from LSU, I'll throw his name out there. The wide receiver, yeah. He's a wide receiver who did not play, and I expect him probably to go in the top 10. But 
I would need to kind of do a little bit more work on it. But he's definitely a name to just consider if your scenario, enter name here, ends up materializing. Yeah, and it works out for him because he got to play. The only tape people are going to be using for him is the tape that he had with Joe Burrow. So exactly. it's going to look – and that was with Justin Jefferson playing next to him. And it's his tape's going to look really good. He's a really talented and interesting uh, wide receiver. For sure. All right, but we have this next question from our fr- friend X Penguin X seventy two, and Dan, I want to direct this at you. In your opinion was Daniel Jones worth the sixth overall pick? Wow, loaded question. Our first loaded question of the show. So before we dive into this one, because this one should be a fun one, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. And this is now your time to shine, Nicholas Villato. I should just start yelling right now so they think it's the sponsors. <laughs> All right, here they are. Listeners of the Big Blue Banter Podcast, please enjoy this mild manner reading from Nick Filato about our lovely ads. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash Blue Wire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to a lack of natural athletic ability or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of the 1% of the 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes, you know, you just want to crack open a nice Pepsi, chug it down as your team is winning, and as the Giants keep entering winning streaks. That's something that may entice you, because Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. So quite a loaded question from our friend X Penguin. So is Daniel Jones worth the number six all overall pick? Or was, it says. I think that's way too soon to say. That's the first way I'm answering this question. It's way too soon to say. We're not even through the second season of his career. So I'll start by saying that. Now, let me answer this on a more overall 30,000-foot view level. To me, the answer is actually yes, and he's actually already shown enough to be yes. But this dives more so into my overall opinion on roster building and the importance of the quarterback position. The way I would build a team is I would be willing to take risky chances 
drafting and trying to locate your quarterback until you find your quarterback and you know for sure you find your quarterback. It's one of the reasons why if the Giants season goes south from this point on, and none of us expect that to be the case, we're all kind of have a little bit of hope about the direction this team's starting to head in to some degree, and they could probably beat teams like Cincinnati with their backup quarterback, <laughs> and hopefully a couple of these more of these NFC East teams and steal the division. But and yes, I said steal there. That was a uh, a throwback to the DeAndre Baker steal the ring joke for those of, for those of you paying attention. But maybe they can steal the division. But if it doesn't and it goes south, it's one of the reasons I will be open to prospects like Zach Wilson from BYU and. Justin Fields, the quarterback from Ohio State. Trey Lance, another quarterback prospect who's intriguing. Because if this season goes south, it probably and most likely means Daniel Jones doesn't continue to develop and he shows more of what he showed those first six, seven, eight weeks, whatever it was, where he really wasn't looking like a long-term, I don't want to say solution because any of these guys in my mind can be solutions. Ryan Tannehill is a solution to some degree in an offense that's perfect around him. But more so, I want to say, where in those first eight games, he didn't exactly look like the Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes types, the types that don't need everything around them to be perfect, and the types that can kind of transcend no matter what is around them. And if I see a prospect like that in this class that might be that way, I'll be open to it if the season goes south. I'm always going to be like that. Until I know Daniel Jones will be that guy, I will always be like that because that's my overall approach for the position. You should be very aggressive in drafting quarterbacks. I even subscribe to the idea of drafting developmental guys. I don't mind that. I didn't hate the Kyle Ludd pick at all, even though it didn't work out. You were a Rhett Bomer guy? I was not a Rhett Bomer guy. <laughs> I remember Rhett Bomer. Andre Woodson. Remember him from Kentucky. I actually I do, thought yeah. he had a little bit of talent. Didn't work out. But this is the position. This is what changes your franchise. Look at what the Arizona Cardinals have done. They were terrible when they fired Steve Wilkes after one season as head coach. That roster was devoid. They changed coordinators. They changed systems, which really screwed them up because they went from their 3-4 to a 4-3 basically as their base. They weren't even running a 3-4 though. It was like a, it was similar to what was whatever Betcher was running. It was like a 2-4, whatever you want to call that defense. They changed a lot there. They changed names. They changed players. And it doesn't matter because when Kyler Murray is on the field, they're a six-win team already, and they're fighting for a playoff spot. They're probably going to get there. They can, they're in every game. In my mind, you can't tell me right now that they're guaranteed to not win the NFC. I think they could literally beat any of those teams in the playoffs, potentially, depending on what Kyler Murray does to transcend. So again, for me, overall, it is worth the pick, Penguin, because you took the chance on a guy you thought had it, and he has shown flashes of greatness, even so far in his career, Daniel Jones. He's had moments of really great football. And it's not consistent yet, and it hasn't been more than his bad. There's no argument for that. Only homers will tell you that he's been better than he's been bad right now. But the flashes are enough for me to see that it was worth the ju- the juice was worth the squeeze here. Now, of course, if I could do it over Penguin, would I rather take Josh Allen there and then be probably in position to take Justin Herbert? Sure. But you know what? That's how the cookie crumbles. The Giants were super interested in in Herbert, but he decided to come back and play one season with his brother who came onto the the Oregon football team for whatever reason because the Giants knew that talent. And and some teams saw it, some teams didn't. Listen, no teams traded up with the Giants or Lions in this class for Herbert. So that means a lot of teams missed on Herbert. A team took two over Herbert, which at the time, everyone said was the right pick, similar to the Haskins-Daniel Jones debate. 
everyone in the media, everyone who covers the draft for the most part, and not everyone, obviously when I say that I mean like 80%, were saying Tua was the better prospect. I, by the way, if you listen back to our podcast, was very skeptical. If you listen to our off-season podcast, was very a little bit skeptical on Tua. I never liked his throwing motion. I have not liked what I've seen so far in the pros. Herbert, to me, though, has completely exceeded any expectations. It's almost like that Oregon coach to me should, he's not going to be, and he still has a great program, so I'm not actually saying this, but like, he's not, he shouldn't be fired, he's not going to be fired, but he should look himself in the mirror and be like, what the hell did I just do with Justin Herbert? I could have had all that, and I decided to run screens every play and run the football <laughs> literally every play. So it's tough, it's the draft, it's an imperfect process. My over, my long, long story short, I think it was worth the pick. Nick? I agree, because if you believe that a quarterback is your guy, you don't get cute. You select that guy. You don't try to wait and see, oh, maybe we can get him at pick 17. No, this is the quarterback. This is going to be the face of your franchise, and you truly believe that. you got to stick to your convictions, and you have to make him that sixth overall pick. And like you said, he has shown several flashes. I don't know if he'll ever be that transcendent type of talent, to be honest, those Deshaun Watsons or those Kyler Murrays or anybody like that. I don't think that's really going to be a Daniel Jones, but I do believe he's a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with. And I'm not saying, oh, you need everything perfect around him. I'm not necessarily saying that either. I think he's a quarterback who can win in this league, but there are quarterbacks who are of different breeds, quarterbacks like just the top echelon of quarterbacks in the league, those Patrick Mahomes, those Russell Wilsons, those Deshaun Watsons, Kyler Murray's, Tom Brady of the past, people like that. Mm -hmm. So, yes, with that said, I still think it's I'm fine with them taking Daniel Jones at six. Yeah, I I think we nailed it on that one. NY Giants Talk 3 asks, what do you think is better for this team's long-term future, making it to the playoffs or ending up with a top seven pick? I I think it's easy and it's making the playoffs for me. I think that what that does for a young football team with a first-year head coach, even in this trash division, it helps legitimize the New York Giants. It gives all these guys a ton of confidence, and I do think it would be excellent for the locker room. And I know a lot of people don't love that, kind of analysis but it is real these are humans and going to the playoffs would really help this team gain its positive identity back and not have it be the laughing stock that it's somewhat slowly becoming yeah i go back and forth on this one just because well i go back and forth on the actual idea that that would happen because i think every year things kind of are reset and change and you can reset the culture you can reset the whole feeling around the team and I'm not sure there's as much carryover as we think. We look at the 2016 season where, honestly, this team was three Odo Beckham Jr. drops away from beating the Packers in that game. And still, even after Odo Beckham dropped three pa- key passes in that game, a fourth down that Eli hit him right in the hands, one in the end zone, and I believe it was also uh, Shepard who dropped the pass in the end zone as well that game. And they still needed a Hail Mary before halftime, the Packers, to really take control of that playoff game and win that game. But they went from that, a team that was literally one a few bad plays away from making the divisional round of the playoffs, then who knows, to a total dumpster fire the next season. So for me, based on those examples, and there's a lot of those, I'm not sure I totally believe in that whole culture carryover idea. Having said that, though, if they're not going to take a quarterback in this class, and I'm not totally, like, Quiddy Pay is a guy who I'm starting to like a lot, and I don't even know how to pronounce his name because I haven't had a chance to really watch his games on broadcast. I've just seen clips online. He's the edge rusher from Michigan. But he is the edge from Michigan who is literally lighting it up this season for them when healthy. But, like, for example, if it means missing out on him, it's so hard to tell. Like, last season, for example, them beating the Redskins, the Washington football team, in my opinion, was a net negative for this franchise. 
No offense to Andrew Thomas, he's starting to play better football. Great, good stuff. But if they had Chase Young right now on this roster and Matt Pert, and they were able to go into this class and get a guy like Cosme or Seawall at that tackle spot to match with Pert, they'd be in a better position than they are going to be to get whatever edge is going to fall to them. See, that I agree with, but I... I, I do disagree with the, the 2016 example just because I don't think those two things are comparable where they're kind of, you can align them and you can make comparisons, but they're two totally different coaching staffs and two totally different situations with so many other variables that are that should be attributed to the situation. Well, that could be case, but like that any, in my mind, it's like any season can, that's what, it, that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Like any, every season brings its own variables to the, to the table and so many things can it's kind of like a fantasy football type of thing with like your scheduling. You get those teams that have like first in points but miss the playoffs. Now there might be someone who in this room who's having that happen right now and is po- not too pleased. Possibly, about it. but we'll have to see. The season's not over yet. Yes, that's Nick Villato and his tilt from fantasy is next level type stuff. But with all the variables in play, I'm not sure the carryover is really as much of. To me, it seems a little bit like more of a narrative. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But having said that, to answer your question, I still agree with Nick on this one. At this point, with where they're at, with three wins, and with all these crap teams below them that I just think are going to continue to lose games, the Lions, the Jets, the Jags, there's so many just trash teams. I'm not as worried about it. I feel like if I am where I, I could, if I was where I'm at at the end of draft season, like right before the draft, the weekend before the draft, where I feel like I have such a good grip on the top 100 prospects, my answer might be different if I thought there was one guy they're going to miss out on who they really need. But as of now, no, I'd rather this team win football games and get that last non-lottery pick, whatever they give you for the playoffs. Or maybe they win a playoff game. Who knows? Weirder things have happened. The 7-9 and nine Seahawks won, but they had a home field advantage in that game for sure. But they still won that game. So, And the Giants, by the way, have not been blown out by any team yet this season. They still haven't faced a really good quarterback, which I keep... I mean, unless you want to call that Brady passing attack great, which I don't think it is, or the Roethlisberger one, we'll see when they play Russell. I think it could they could be in for a little bit of a rude awakening with the zone with the with the type of defense they play and the guys out there. But fact of the matter is, they haven't been blown out yet, so they could be competitive in that playoff game as well. NY Giants talk three, so I'm going with Nick on this one. And then our guy Michael Razi, he asks. You brought up the salary cap a few times. Could you expand on this in regards to how the approach philosophy you want works and how it's beneficial? Will you eventually have to pay the piper with this philosophy? How would you approach this offseason? Yeah, Michael, great question. So it really, oh, it goes back to my time when I first got a start in this business. I was working with Fox Sports and I was covering the NFC South. And at the time, New Orleans Saints were the team to beat. They had Drew Brees. This was what, 2014, I believe. And there was talk. What are the Saints going to do in this offseason? I wrote articles on it. I did analysis on the cap. They were supposed to be 60, I think it was 65 million over the cap that offseason. Somehow, the offseason comes, and magically, it's or so it seems, they signed Jairus Bird, who, in my opinion, was like the guy I said every single team should go after. He ended up busting because he got injured, but he was like that deep half safety who had flashes of Ed Reed, the guy you could play single high with and be fine with. And somehow the Saints signed him, and it was like, how the hell does a team who was that far over the cap sign him? And you look at what they do and what Mickey Loomis has done, and it's the same thing the Eagles have done. It's the same thing the Cowboys have done. It's the same team. A lot of the same thing. A lot of these teams that are winning teams consistently have done, and that's kick the can back. It's the idea that the salary cap 
is quote-unquote a hard salary cap, but it's not really. There's all sorts of different ways you can restructure and maneuver the cap. A lot of ways that, like Nick talked about earlier, touched on earlier, and we have talked about in the past, Kevin Agrams does a good job of. I actually think the most functional part of this current Giants uh, ownership slash regime slash everything, and I'm talking goes all the way up to Demaris. The most functional thing right now is Abrams' ability to manage the cap. He does a really good job with it. And the Giants, by the way, are pretty aggressive already, Michael. If you look at the Giants over the last 10 years, they almost never enter a season with anywhere more than three to six million. Even this year, they freed up space to sign Logan Ryan, went right up against the cap, and that was 7.5 million on a one-year deal. They spend to the cap. Those owners are not cheap. And to spend to that cap, a lot of the times they do restructuring and they do some of these tricks of the trade that the Saints have made really infamous. I mean, I talked about the Eagles, Cowboys. The Saints do it better than anybody in the business. That was 2014. They've been pushing it back since then. They still haven't had to pay the price. Now, going into this year, it's supposed to be something crazy, like I think 89 million over the cap. But if Breeze retires, that could change things up a little bit. That one's that's been one of them. They keep kicking down the cap. So really what it comes down to is when you have a rookie, a quarterback on a rookie contract, get aggressive, spend, 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 push the cap back to later years. Worry about that later, like these best teams do, because you know what? In the end, you're going to lap the teams like the Jets and the Jags and these cheap franchises that don't spend that leave that you know don't spend the kind of money they need to compete on the field. And the Giants, as long as you have an owner who's willing to spend, and the Giants do. Your best bet is to view this as more of a soft salary cap than a hard salary cap because that's honestly what I've come to learn it really is. Hmm, it's nice. Now we got our friend Matthew Arts going to ask, DJ has really good overall stats when facing a team for the second time in the same season. Is that meaningless given sample size that it's against bad NFC East teams or is it a sign he could actually be legit good with more experience? It's an interesting question, Matthew. So I think... To best answer your question, I have to dive into the tape, relook at the stats, and relook at everything that goes into these games. I would say that on an overall standpoint. So I, I didn't, I can't fact check if this is exactly true, but I'm going to take your word at it that this is true, Matthew. And I think it makes some some sense in the sense that we can just think off the top of our heads. The second time he played that Washington defense, which remember was different because they changed coaches, but the second time he played them last season, he lit them up. He had a much better game. Five tutties. Yeah. I don't remember if his second Eagles game last year was better than... No, the week Oh, well, well the, he, didn't the, play he had the Eli in the first, yeah, so that yeah, one doesn't yeah. qualify. Um, he didn't play the first Dallas game. Yep. So that one doesn't qualify either. As far as this season goes, he definitely was better in his second Washington game. Mm-hmm. And I think he was definitely probably better in his second Eagles game. And the, in the second Washington game as well, though, the Giants were able to establish like a formidable yes. rushing attack too. So I think the sample size is a little small, to be honest, Matthew. But it's something that we'll continue to evaluate and pay attention to. And in the coming weeks, we'll uh, see him against the Cowboys. So Yeah, it's a great point, though, Matthew. It's really interesting to think about because... If it is true, and it's not just a small sample size, um, you know, takeaway that we're having here, it's a good sign because it means that he's adjusting to what he sees on tape. It means that what he's adjusting to what the defense coordinators are doing and showing him post both pre-snap and post-snap. And overall, that's 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 what you want to see from a quarterback who's learning to become a better player. All right, Christopher, and when I read that, 
I always think about it in kind of that Adriana voice. Dude, I am so – Dan, I am so – I was literally about to cut in and be like, this has to be a Sopranos reference. It has it, it, to. It, it has to. Christopher. Christopher. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. You killed my dog, Christopher. You sat on the dog, Christopher. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Strung out Christopher sitting on the dog. But Christopher, and it is spelled like that, by the way, not like – Christopher, but like Christopher. Christopher, please add us and let us know if this is a reference to Adriana from The Sopranos as well. Yeah, I feel like it has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really hoping it is Christopher. But you ask, how much does Xavier McKinney playing well through the end of the year impact re-signing Logan Ryan? Ryan, who by the way leads the Giants in Pro Bowl votes, which came out today, is only here because X got hurt and likely playing the role Graham had in mind for X. I'd love to have both, but Ryan may command a big contract to keep in the fold. That's, Christopher, that's what it all comes down to. Now, Logan Ryan waited a very long time to get a contract because he wanted a certain amount of money and he wanted to be in the right situation. And after playing the way he's playing this year, he's probably going to be in line for that contract. So I don't, I'm not confident that he's going to return to the New York Giants. I think he wants to be a New York Giant. I think he loves being a New York Giant, but money talks. And he can go to so many different teams that have probably better playoff and Super Bowl aspirations than the Giants, and he's getting a little bit older. So I think this might be his last year, which I'm going to hate because he's going to be one of the one of my favorite one-and-done Giants. Him, Kavika Mitchell up there for some of my favorite one-and-done Giants. <laughs> yeah, I like Martellus Bennett, but he doesn't quite... Oh, ugh. Bennett's up there for me. He, he, he would fall out of the top two to these two in my opinion i really like logan ryan i really like what he brings like the giants want him back but i don't think it's going to be affordable especially with mckinney coming back now to your original question if he plays well i think that may actually seal the deal that uh he won't be back and i do envision him playing well although it might start a little rocky just because he's getting up to speed and he's a rookie yeah not only is he getting up to speed he's getting his actual speed back not being able to put too much pressure on that foot that broken foot for a while he's got to learn the system he's going to be playing a lot different than that were probably what he expected in practice and training camps. I bet the Giants went into the season thinking they were going to run a lot more man than they're ultimately running, but that's not the case. So it should be, I don't think it's going to be a quick transition there, but I am also intrigued, Christopher, to see what happens with McKinney and Ryan the rest of the season, because I think what the Giants have found, at least in this Patrick Graham defense, is that Ryan, like you mentioned, is playing the role they originally envisioned for McKinney, but this is also the best role and fit for him on this specific defense so if you were to bring him back and then try to shoehorn him into a cornerback outside cornerback spot i think you'll be doing him a disservice i think you'll be doing yourselves a disservice i don't really think he makes too much sense in the slot because holmes is coming along there you don't want to detract from what he's growing into there so you're right it would seem like more of a depth signing but it really does suck because this guy embodies the culture they want he's a great leader he's super smart on the field and he's super productive so i am curious if there is a way a will and a way to get him i think it'll somewhat depend on what they do with jabril i think and mckinney when they're both on the field and fully healthy maybe around like week 13 or what's already what week 12 maybe around week 15 16 maybe where mckinney really has his legs under him and we get to see how they use those two because there might still be a role for him like who knows maybe they can figure out something where all the snaps that love has right now just go to these three moving forward and ryan becomes a part of their future and they find a way to mix those three because love you know is not developing to what we maybe had hoped for so it'll be interesting but you're right i think the general problem here might be a lot of things nick brought up and then what you brought up which is they're playing very similar roles the thing about love though too i don't know he's out there a lot people are kind of like forgetting that 
like Julian Love, he played like 18 and 19 snaps in like two games, I think like week four or five or something like that. But he was also dealing with an injury at the time. Right. Like he's played like 38 and then 50. Well, that's what I'm and saying. He's, yeah. he's kind of coming back and he he more plays that single high role. Like that's kind of what Julian Love does while the other ones sort of rotate and they're a little bit interchangeable, but Logan Ryan's really kind of just the captain of that yes. secondary. But can McKinney play that can, single that's, high role? That's, I think he could. And I think in, in he a, has. In, in He's a cover done three, it. yes. Yes, I think he definitely could. So that's going to be interesting. So if he is used that way and they aren't high on Julian Love, right? then it, it's going to be a, definitely an interesting offseason with the three free agents on defense that the Giants have because I want to keep all of them, but I don't know if that's going to be a possibility. And that's interesting because if if McKinney doesn't remember, he played like one third of his snaps single high for Alabama. He played a third in the box, which is surprising for a safety, and then he played a third over the slot in Saban's defense. If he ends up playing majority of his snaps in that single high role in the cover three, that like Nick said, Julian Love has kind of been occupying, doing okay with, not great. Then there might be a spot for Brian long term because he can play the role he's already playing. Peppers almost operates on a lot of snaps as just a linebacker, and it kind of works. But we'll have to see, I think, how that all fits in. And we're going to end this first part of the mailbag with a fun question from Doug. He asks, what is the R2 value between the success of the Giants and your happiness? Nick? For me, I'm, I always want the New York Giants to win. I, I don't go into deep depressions, though, as some of you probably could just pick up from how I talk on the podcast. I mean, I, I am, I'm in a better mood when the Giants win, for sure. But I try to view this objectively, and if the team is playing like crap, then they don't deserve to win football games in my mind. So that's kind of how I would answer this question. It doesn't overly affect my happiness. Now, if they get jobbed, and if they play an excellent game and they lose because of like one bad play by a player or a blown coverage or something, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be pretty frustrated, and I'm probably going to let you guys know about that on the podcast. But what you guys get on the Quick Reaction podcast, that's kind of how I am. So when we win... It's nice. When they lose, uh, it's, it's frustrating. And as you guys can probably tell from some of my heated rants following Giants losses, I am, can get very emotional about the Giants, but I will say this. If you think this is emotional or entertaining, whatever you want to call it, you should have seen me back in the day before I started covering this team, before I started covering the NFL in general. I've noticed that since I started doing this for a living, and not just the Giants podcast, but my work as an editor at CBS – sports and in the past with Fox Sports 24-7 sports one of those roles in which I covered the team on a daily basis at 24-7 it's taken a lot of the fan out of me it really has um it's interesting I never thought that would be the case going into it but once you make this also your work it does take some of the fan out but there will always be the fan in me and I will always be a little happier or a little sad depending on where the Giants how the Giants are doing in lost seasons that is not the case last year until recently in this year now it might again become the case because the Giants have a shot to win this crap division which I don't think is as big of an accomplishment as everyone's making it out to be but I still hope they do it but last year the year before those two lost seasons the first two under Gettleman I wasn't sad when they went one in ten after one in nine that meant nothing to me or whatever those records were that doesn't affect me at all but in those seasons man like the season we talked about earlier where Eli Manning really stepped the hell up if you watch the game tape on that 2016 wildcard game against the Packers it was almost like 2011 Eli out there he was not missing spots every single throw the ball placement was on point he ripped balls in there into tight windows and he literally fell prone to some horrendous drops by his wide receivers that really 
killed him in that game um and that was with Eric Flowers as one of his tackles and I forget who else was playing right tackle at the time but it was nothing good of course um at the time so yeah that one definitely hit me but in general again like I said it's been a little bit different since I started covering the team all right that will be it for the first edition of this mailbag we're going to circle right back and a few days after Thanksgiving we're going to drop the second edition of this mailbag sorry that was the first edition hopefully you can consume this on your drive to your family's house or in the morning on a on a run before you eat all of what you're going to eat on thanksgiving because i am going to indulge tomorrow i'm gonna eat like a madman and i hope the case is the same for i hope that's the case i'm sorry i hope the case is the same for nick filato i'm not sold on that <laughs> based on some of his eating habits that we've talked about in the past this man does not like to eat a lot of food that's bad for you I mean, I always have my cheat days on on Thanksgiving and on Christmas. My birthday sometimes. Sometimes, (laughs) not even every time. Not even every time. You should. This man eats cleaner than any human being, which I don't even know if it. Eat a carb, man. The fact that you are an Italian and you haven't had pizza in like years is just like insanity to me pizza living in new jersey it's one of the best reasons to live here for the pizza so i actually went to chicago before the world shut down and that I, ain't pizza. I know i deep dish but I, I, I had to try it just to to um you know use it against what we have here and it, no it's not even comparable and it didn't even go to luminati's I want the Giordano's. went to Gino's East or Giordano's. I mean, those are solid. They're Giordano's not is pretty solid from what I hear coming from somebody who has spent very little time. It's in all lasagna, though. Treat yourself to a little thin crust New Jersey style pizza with curly pepperonis and have a great day. But that's not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is about a lot of the sides and the good stuff. And I'm excited for that. Thank you to everyone who joined us for the mailbag. And thank you to everyone who sent in questions. For those of you who want to support the show, you know how to do it. But I'll go over it once again because that's what I do. You can follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter, where Sean runs our account, and Sean is the absolute man of the hour, man of the night, man of the month. He's gotten that page up to 500 followers. B number 501. I don't know, actually. It might be even higher now. It's probably like 555. Probably in the the high fives. Get us over six. Get us to 1K. Help us out. And if you want to really help us move up the iTunes charts, get our podcast more reach, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Otherwise, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great rest of your week and enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday. Football is back in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day every day. Head to BetOnline online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.